Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Paddling Fiction. I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. And man, oh man, another day. The markets just closed. Another bloodbath. Despite the Fed's best efforts to keep this party going, we had... Quite a bit of news come up over the weekend since the last podcast I did on Friday. And, you know, things are not looking very good right now from an economic standpoint, um, just from a, a, a nation standpoint. There is a lot of panic going on ever since this was declared. The coronavirus was declared a pandemic. and We had a national emergency. Uh, Donald Trump came out over the weekend and the Fed came out over the weekend and promised a massive stimulus program, $700 billion QE5. We're ramping it back up. They cut rates to zero, as predicted on this show. I hate to take a victory lap on that one, but you know I've been talking about how the Fed will be going to zero long before this coronavirus even started. So if you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, you've known these rates were going down to zero. And, you know, we talked about what the Fed was doing with the repo market late last year when that whole system locked up. And, and I did an entire episode on quantitative easing, so you should go back and listen to those because they are still relevant. It didn't take a genius to know that the Fed would soon return to zero interest rates, targeting zero interest rates, because they've they've painted themselves into a corner. You know, they entered into a monetary roach motel. And and what I mean by that is, you know, the second they started the quantitative easing program, I knew and and other people who have subscribed to the Austrian theory of economics have known that there is no way to, um, there is no escaping this. Their whole plan was that, oh yeah, this is a temporary emergency measure and we're going to buy up all of these bonds and all these mortgage-backed securities. And then once things calm down and the, the, the economy's back on sound economic footing, we'll sell them back to the market and the Fed will unwind that balance sheet that's full of all the garbage that they bought up during the emergency. Well, QE1 quickly turned into QE2, and then QE2 turned into QE3, and then QE3 turned into QE4, and here we are with QE5. It has become blatantly obvious to, or at least it should be obvious to everybody now, that they cannot 
um, end this. The, this this program. There is no getting out of this. Once you start, um, w- once you become the biggest buyer of something that nobody else in the world wants to buy, you can't go from being the biggest buyer of government debt to the biggest seller of government debt and not expect that market to tumble. Because who's going to buy all of this crap at these prices that you paid for them? Nobody. So the, the prices have to collapse in order to find a buyer. And, and that's what they're quickly realizing. And when prices collapse, interest rates go up. And they don't want interest rates to go up. We can't afford to have interest rates go up because that pops all of the, the economic bubbles that they've been trying to reinflate since 2008 and that they were reinflating in 2008 that actually popped in 2001. This whole thing, this whole problem dates back 20 years now, okay, to the 2001 recession that we went into that George W. Bush uh, stimulated us out of with the help of the Federal Reserve under Alan Greenspan when he, he slashed interest rates to 1%. And then under Barack Obama and Ben Bernanke, and then uh, what's her name? Janet Yellen, that's who it is. Sorry, it took me a, a second to remember that name. Janet Yellen, we had interest rates at 0%. And if you understand the role of interest rates, if you've listened to the, the shows, the episodes where I've explained how important interest rates are to the overall economy and the allocation of resources, then you know that when we artificially keep things at zero, a lot of malinvestment takes place throughout the economy and a lot of misallocation of resources that doesn't exactly come uh, become apparent until there's a problem, right? And I've been saying all along that we've had massive bubbles in the stock market, massive bubbles in the bond market, the largest in history, and they've just been bubbles floating around, getting bigger and bigger, and searching for a pin to pop them. Well, we've gotten our pin. It was the coronavirus. And now there's going to be a lot of confusion around this. I know there's going to be a lot of people that said, oh, well, this is just because of the coronavirus. And once we get the virus under control, the economy will be fine. And nothing could be further from the truth. And I, I want to be really clear about this because a lot of people are just associating this with the virus. And this is all just because of the coronavirus. But it's not. It's not. Th- these problems have always been in the economy, just sort of hiding in, in the background. They've been covered up. They've been papered over by all this Federal Reserve intervention in our markets and all of the economic stimulus and the artificially low interest rates that sort of um, hides everything from view. And the virus is just what pricked those bubbles, which, what pulled those curtains back and, and showed the, the man behind the curtain that, or that the emperor had no clothes. You know, It's not the cause of the economic downturn we're going to be seeing. What the coronavirus has done is exposed all of those underlying problems in the economy, all the resources that have been misallocated because of all these things we've been doing wrong. Ironically, it's basically doing to the economy what it does to people in real life. You know, you have older folks with weakened immune systems, you know, people with underlying conditions that have compromised their body's ability to fight off infections. 
And on any other day, these people can appear healthy, fairly healthy, like they have things under control. There's no big problem there. And then you get something like the coronavirus comes along and exposes that weakness and attacks those weak areas. And you start to see the patients succumb to, the, to those diseases. It's just that in this case, the patient is the overall economy. And we had several underlying conditions that have severely hindered our ability to fight off economic infections, okay? And I've talked about these on the show before. I'm sure you're all familiar with the excessive amounts of debt and all of these over-leveraged companies and all of these conditions have been brought about by an artificially low interest rates brought to you by the Federal Reserve. Okay, and what I mean by over-leveraged companies, for those of you who, who may not know what exactly that means, we have individuals who are over-leveraged, we have companies who are over-leveraged, we have investors who are over-leveraged, and basically what's happening is they're borrowing money to either, in the case of the individual, right, they're borrowing money to consume things, right? Uh, you're, you're taking out home equity loans, you're, you're borrowing money to buy a car, you're borrowing money to just live beyond your means, okay? A an investor, you can borrow money to buy stocks. It's, it's called borrowing on, uh, buying on margin, okay? And for companies, you know, we have a ton of companies right now that have been borrowing money and buying back their stock. And what does that do? Well, they, 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 that gives them a jolt to their stock market price. Their stock market price goes through the roof, and then they get to cut them their, their CEOs and all those guys huge bonuses because the stock's going up, and everything's great. Everything's great while interest rates are low, and they can afford to, to make the payments on those debts. Everything's great while the market's going up. Everything's great while you have a job and you have um, customers coming in and buying your products and you have money coming in every month, you can make those minimum credit card payments. You can make those debt service payments. There are no problems until you get a disruption, until you get something like the coronavirus coming in and attacking those weak points. So the economy's immune system that would normally jump into gear during a recession and mitigate those losses and, and fight to correct the resource misallocation, it's all messed up. It's all messed up because the price of money, a.k.a. interest rates, is all messed up. And so now what you have in the economy is the coronavirus comes along, causes a massive disruption in the supply chain, and all of a sudden, these over-leveraged companies who were depending on constant, uninterrupted perfection all of a sudden find all of their massive debt exposure to be a huge problem. They can't get supplies. They can't have customers. They don't have money coming in to pay the minimum payments, the minimum debt service payments on all the borrowing that they've done at artificially low interest rates. Maybe they have to shut down operations temporarily or retool their operations to meet the changing economic conditions. And they can't afford to make the payments on their debt during that um, shift, during those changes. Now they need a bailout. Now they have to lay off workers and 
you know, the downward spiral begins. And we're, we're going to start to see that ripple through the entire economy. But it was going to happen regardless of whether or not we had a coronavirus. Something was going to happen to pop these bubbles and expose this nasty underbelly of the economy, expose all the um, mistakes we've been making as a country over the last 20 years, and we were going to have to deal with this eventually. Um, what they're trying to do now is blow air back into these bubbles. So the Fed has slashed interest rates back down to zero. It is clear that we could, you know, that the whole goal was to normalize interest rates and shrink their balance sheet. They were not able to do either of those things. So we're right back at zero where we were at the depths of the Great Recession. You know, these unprecedented emergency uh, precautions we had to take. That was back in, in the 2009, and we're right back there. We, we've gained nothing, and the, the Fed's balance sheet is going to explode. All right, we they were able to get it down to about four trillion from four and a half trillion, and now it's been climbing up ever since. They they've just po uh, pumped another five hundred billion into these repo markets. They did the one point five trillion dollar thing last week. Now they've got a seven hundred billion dollar QE program going, and it's not enough. It's not enough. The markets closed today. The Dow was down almost. Thir basically 13%, down 3,000 points. 2,997.1 is where it closed, okay? Uh, crude oil is down another 14%. It's at $28.63 a barrel. We're down across the board. Even the precious metals and, and um, cryptocurrencies got hammered, which, you know, it, at least from a precious metal standpoint, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because they're supposed to be the safe haven assets where everybody goes during tumultuous times, right? But we saw gold, gold is down to $1,500 an ounce now. It was almost at $1,700 uh, a week ago. All right, so it, it's been getting hammered. Silver was down to 11 and change today. I think it's back up probably around 12 or maybe $13 or so, something like that. You know, I was looking at, at some charts of, of precious metals today and we did see similar moves back in uh, 2008 2009 the the initial move when the market started to tank was everything was down across the board Pre now precious metals were down less than everything else like gold's only down one and a half percent today right the the stock market's down 13 percent uh bitcoin's down eight percent crude oil down 14 like i said so the gold and silver were down less, but then they really took off from there. And you, you had a big down move with everything else, and then you, it was just off to the races. So I do expect uh, eventually, you know, this is going to dawn on, on investors that the, the Fed money printing is going to know no bounds. They're going to inflate this debt away it, it's the only thing they can do at this point we're back at zero percent interest rates and the fed has only one tool in its tool belt it is artificially low interest rates printing money printing money to buy bonds printing money to just give out to people that that's going to be next on the list there's talk of that 
there's talk of uh you know the Andrew Yang monthly stipend from the government the universal basic income they might implement that now as a way to compensate people who are out of work who are going to be out of work so that they can self-quarantine themselves and socially uh, distance themselves or whatever they call it um, during this 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 crisis but just like every other government uh, program and like I said last week, nothing is so permanent as a temporary government program. If they institute a universal basic income, it will become a permanent thing. They'll probably roll it into some sort of uh, paid uh, f medical leave or whatever that they'll force companies to do. And I talked about all the problems with that. But even if they just stroke checks, $1,000 checks to everybody every month, every man, woman, and child, where does that money come from? Where does all of this money come from that they're going to use? Airlines came out and formally requested a bailout. They need a bailout now because they're over leveraged and now they don't have any business coming in. Uh, where is all this money going to come from? If everybody needs a bailout, every man, woman, and child needs a bailout, every company needs a bailout, wh where does the money come from? Well, uh, it's just keystrokes at this point. Okay, and if you know anything about inflation, if you've been listening to the show, you should. And that's why I always talk about how it's important, especially for the new listeners, because we have seen our numbers creep up a little bit, which is great. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I wish I had better news to report today. But if you are new to the show, go back and listen to the prior episodes because I, I really want to build off of the things that I talk about in, in previous episodes. And the idea of inflation, remember, there are two components to it. It is the number of dollars in circulation and how quickly those dollars reverberate throughout the economy, how quickly they change hands. Okay, The, the government is going to create an unbelievable number of dollars in the next couple of weeks. This is going to, we are going to see the monetization of our debt in volumes that we've never seen before. Because every time, and you know, I've compared it to basically like a drug addiction. These markets get addicted to the cheap money. Well, as your drug addiction progresses, you need larger and larger doses of the drug to get the same high. Well, we are now, like I said, 20 years into this problem, 20 years into this addiction. The the amount of cheap money that we need just to get us back to the, the state that we were in is going to be a lot more. And eventually, the more drugs you take, the larger and larger dose, you kill the, the drug addict, right? So it looks like we are very close to killing this economy. And, you know, this coronavirus... If it wasn't that, it would have been something else to, to expose all of these problems. But now we have the coronavirus on top of everything else. And, you know, there are going to be some dark times ahead for a lot of people, especially those who, you know, were working paycheck to paycheck, who are in the, the service sector. You know, another big problem that I talked about on the previous show was all of these jobs that we've been creating during this supposed economic recovery dating back to the days of Barack Obama was that all of the jobs were in the service sector. They were all restaurants, 
They were all hotels, you know, leisure, things that, A, they don't pay very well, and B, they're the first jobs to go when you get into a recession, when you, when you have, especially when you have something like, uh, like this, like what we're experiencing now with the coronavirus, that only exacerbates the fact that, the, that these are like really temporary jobs. They're low-paying jobs. They're jobs that people take multiple, like sometimes you're worth two or three of them uh, just to get by. When there's an economic downturn and, and people are tightening their belts and they're not going out to dinner as much, they're not um, traveling as much and staying in hotels and things like that, uh, these are the first people to see to see those jobs go uh, down the tubes. So, you know, the, I guess the good news is that where technology is today, it is easier and um, just so much more possible for people to start their own side gig, to uh, be able to generate income from their house, from their apartment with just a cell phone or a computer and an internet connection. That's really all you need these days. It's easier than ever. Your overhead is lower than ever. But if you're trying to plan for that now, you're a little late to the party. You, you have to plan for these things when times are good, when they're supposedly good. You've had over oh, more than 10 years to prepare for this day. And you know if you were not doing that, if you were not increasing your human capital, investing in yourselves, learning new skills, preparing for the day where that job that you're depending on might no longer exist, you're going to be, it's not like it's impossible to, to get something started now. It's just going to be more difficult. And, um, I, you know, I've been talking about this on the show for over a year now. Um, or just about a year, I guess the show's only been about going on for about a year now. Um, on, on how we we need to be preparing for this day, and it looks like it's here. It's going to be very tough, very tough for the next um, for the foreseeable future here. And you know, uh, it, I'm in uh, Chicago, as all of you know, and we had our governor come out yesterday and say that he's um, closing down all the the restaurants and bars. They they can only do takeout now. You can't sit down and eat. I know other states are doing this. I know it's happening over in uh, Massachusetts. I was talking to a friend over there that th this week. That sort of crackdown starting. There is talk of instituting some sort of nationwide quarantine where you can't travel between states. They're closing down schools. All the public schools are closed for like the next six weeks. <laughs> and, you know, I joked, you know, that because we should basically immediately close all public schools, not because of the virus, but just in general, because they're abominations and they do nothing but uh, but destroy young burgeoning minds. Uh, but all those schools are closed. So now we have, uh, you know, kids at home, parents who need to find child care, things like that. But basically what's happening is the, the government wants everything shut down. All these companies are shutting down operations. You know, they're canceling sporting events. They're canceling any gathering over 50 people or whatever it is. Now everyone's looking for the, to the government to ease everyone's pain. We also had debates last night. And, you know, you had Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden falling over each other to a promise. No pain. There's not going to be. Everybody will be made whole. Don't worry about it. The government's going to come to the rescue. Now, 
you what you have to remember is that the government doesn't have any money of its own. Okay, everything that the government has, it must first take from somebody else. Okay, and if it doesn't come out and and just straight up take it from people in the form of taxation, it's going to have to create all this money out of thin air and inject it into the economy, and that's when you get all the inflation. Now, inflation, they are still stealing from you. All right, they're not just stealing your money from your paycheck; they're stealing the purchasing power of all the dollars that you have, of everything that you've saved. Okay, so that's going to crush people's savings because think about what's happening, right? You have, like I said, more dollars in circulation and they're changing hands, but do we have any more goods and services? Is anybody producing more things? No. In fact, we're producing less. We're going to have less goods, less services, right? During an economic downturn, there's less production. And during a, a quarantine, if ever all these companies are, are shutting down their operations, you're going to have even less goods and services to buy and more dollars throughout the economy bidding up the, the prices of those things. More dollars chasing a fewer amount of goods. Prices are going to skyrocket. Okay, and that's that's going to hurt everybody, especially the poorest among us, regardless of how much money the government creates and hands out. Uh, prices will just adjust to that. So they give you $1,000 a month. It, it, it's not going to matter. It's not going to go very far. And if it's all based on debt, if we're just going to take on more debt to, to ease this pain now, that's, that's exactly what we did to get us to this point. And we're, we're going to try to kick the can down the road. Eventually, that debt is going to have to be paid off with interest. So, you know, this is not a very good, healthy approach. We, we have to, there, at this point, there are no good solutions. There's no easy answer to these problems. We have to take some pain. And the longer we put it off, the, the more painful it's going to get. The bigger the problems get, the more misallocation of resources throughout the economy and we've been putting this off longer than anybody really thought possible. And and this is this is going to be big. And if we, we try to push it off even farther, maybe they can do that. But they're going to crush something else in the process, be it the, the long-term uh, purchasing power of the dollar, um, your savings, anybody on a fixed income. Or, or the if they, they choose to save the dollar, then, like I said, the stock market, all your investments, those go down the tube. So something, there has to be some sort of pain here. We need this. The, the recession, while painful, is the, is the necessary medicine that we must take as a country to get this economy back on solid economic footing where we are producing things where we're not just um, going into debt to consume. And I've been saying that I don't think this will be the end of the world, but it will be, uh, it will be very bad for a lot of people. Okay, there, There's going to be plenty of pain to go around, but the sooner we accept our fate and we take that pain, the better off we will all be. You know, one of the interesting things, I've been thinking a lot about this over the last, you know, because I've just been sitting around my condo with nothing much else to do. You know, we've had all these companies that have started to either shut down 
um, their operation, shut down events. They're, they're closing down shop. They're now the, the government's forcing them to, to shut down some of their operations. But a lot of what's going on, I think, is being driven by fear of lawsuits. Because, you know, if one company comes out, like Starbucks, I think, might have been one of the first ones to come out and say, well, everything's going to be a, uh, a, a pickup order. You can no longer sit and, and hang out in our cafe. You just c- come, get your coffee, and go. And they probably, they might even make you um, order from their app or something instead of standing there in line. I don't know. But what, once one company does that and another company doesn't, if somebody at that other company happens to get this virus, well, they open themselves up to all sorts of liability and all sorts of lawsuits and malpractice and things like that. So all of these other companies are following suit. And whether or not this is absolutely necessary, I don't know. You know, um, it, it certainly seems like a, a good idea to err on the side of caution at this point. But, uh, you know, we, we could be blowing this way out of proportion and exacerbating the problems of, uh, of uh, everything on the supply chain and, and people getting laid off and things like that. But, but I think a lot of it is motivated by fear uh, of getting sued, <laughs> which is, you know, becoming um, a, a very real aspect of, of life as a, as a business owner in America these days. But if you've been paying attention, you've noticed that a lot of these companies have come out proactively on their own before the government even mobilized, before the government came out with any mandate or anything like that. They were out there uh, changing up their, their procedures, trying to assure the public that you know their products are safe to consume. These are all the steps that we've, we've done to ensure that our employees don't get sick, that our customers don't get sick, that we're... Uh, limiting the amount of exposure people may have to to possible contagions. That was all in their own self-interest because they don't want their customers getting sick. They don't want their employees getting sick. We we didn't need to have the government come out and say, you know, everybody must do this or everybody must do that because you don't know what's best for each situation. I think the better approach is to leave it up to the companies to decide how they can best um, two things, you know, how they can best protect their employees and their customers and at the same time still provide the necessary goods and services that people have come to depend on. They will do that on their own. They don't need the government to decree it. And that's why you're getting all these emails and, and text messages from all these companies telling you all the, the precautions that they're taking to f- combat this uh coronavirus and make sure that they're still able to serve you properly. I just got a, an email from a, a pizza place from Lou Malnati saying that they've, uh, these are all the things that they're doing and we're offering um, no contact delivery. They'll just drop the pizza off at your door and the driver will like call you and let you know that he dropped the pizza off and they got curbside pickups so you can still get your pizza and you don't have to come into contact with anybody and risk transmitting the disease. Uh, companies are, are doing all sorts of things like that. They, we don't need some sort of mandate from the government to tell them to do that. They will do it on their own because it's in their best interest to do it on their own. But I do think we are going to see uh, a very um, drastic transition. People are still going to need things. People are still going to want things. And people are still going to try to provide those things to other people. 
it's just going to be a matter of transitioning the way that we normally did business into a, a new environment. We, we have to transition uh, given the, the changing economic circumstances. So I would expect to see companies like Amazon expanding their delivery system. Maybe they're going to be hiring all these people that are getting laid off by other brick and mortar places to to fill all of these um, orders that people are going to be ordering online because you're not going to go to the grocery store anymore. I've already I've already placed a, a couple of online grocery orders. I, I told you last week I'm done going grocery shopping. I, I don't I'm, I'm just not going to put up with it. And it's not even for fear of really catching the coronavirus. It's just because I don't want to deal with the mayhem. I hate crowds. I hate lines. I'm not going to go stand in a line. No, I'll order something online and have somebody deliver it to me. I don't care. Whatever it costs, my time is more valuable than that. So you're going to see a lot of delivery, food delivery, grocery delivery, meal delivery, all, all that sort of stuff that really take off, I think, over the coming months. And who knows what's going, what sort of uh, business ventures will arise given these changing economic conditions. But... Um, you know, we're, we're going to see a shift. And I, I, you know, I tweeted out today, I was wondering if anybody, and I don't think anybody's really replied to this yet, but I'm wondering if those people who a few months ago during the whole uh, Yang Gang mayhem have changed their position on automation. Because if you think about automation, sure, there are definitely... Like I said, it, like any transitional period in, a, in an economy, there are going to be people that lose their jobs. You know, that's that's why they call it them labor saving devices. Every machine, every economic advancement that we make that saves labor, by definition, somebody's losing a job. But our overall economic uh, productivity is going up and, and prices go down and people are on average better off. And I've talked about automation before on the show. There's definitely at least one episode on that you should go listen to. But if you think of the problems that we're having now, where all of these supply chains are getting bogged down because people can't go to work because they're either sick or they have to quarantine. Well, you know, all of those problems magically go away with automation. Robots don't get sick. Robots can't transfer disease to other robots or anything like that, right? So if we had a fully automated economy, if we had, you know, self-driving cars and self-driving trucks to deliver these goods to market, could have drones delivering them to your doorstep, could have huge factories full of robots and machines that make all these goods, and, and put them in the boxes and ship them out. This could all be done without people. And eventually it will be. Even if you are in those industries now, they are changing rapidly and they will not be the way that they are much longer. But if we had automation, we wouldn't really be experiencing any production problems, would we? All, all this stuff coming over from China that ground to a halt when they had to quarantine everybody, well, there wouldn't be any problems because... Every, it, it would only require a one or two people to go to be in the warehouse just to make sure everything was running smoothly. And then all those goods get out to market and we don't have any of the, the, the supply problem that we're having due to uh, this reliance that we have on human beings. And it would also make it easier for us to self-quarantine. 
if, if we're not all piling into these factories and into the trains to go to work every day and into the office and on public transportation, all of that stuff, it, w- it would be easier for us and um, less of a disruption for us to socially distance ourselves, right? And then who knows if the government didn't have a virtual monopoly on education, who knows if we'd still have kids piling into these literal prisons that they're piling into now to get indoctrinated. So I thought it was uh, maybe a good time to reevaluate your your position on that when you're going into stores and there's nothing on the shelves. You know, I guess that's one more thing to be optimistic about once we get through this whole um, economic downturn that's coming and this whole uh, virus that's wreaking havoc on the globe right now. In the very near future, we're not going to have a lot of these same problems because of the fact that we've been able to automate human jobs out of existence. And we can have robots and machines take that over. A lot of these problems aren't going to be issues. And and that could be not, you know, there, there will be a whole sort, you know, a whole mess of other issues that arise out of it. But remember, it's not going to be like flipping a light switch and everything just goes from being, uh, you know, people doing the jobs to now it's, it's all done automatically by robots. It's going to be a gradual process that, that, that takes over. So there's going to be a transition period. And like, like I've always been saying, you should be preparing for that. The writing is on the wall. Everybody that's been working at these factories knows that these jobs are being automated away. So prepare yourself for that. Put yourself in a position to capitalize on that change in the industry. But anyway, we're clearly not there yet. We are experiencing a lot of problems right now, and there certainly seem to be more looming ahead. And so the government's response to all of this, as usual, is more monetary stimulus. So we got to have a a coronavirus stimulus package. We got to have a quantitative easing stimulus package. We have to bail out the airlines. And, you know, if you watch the debates last night, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, you know, Bernie always talks about how we're the richest country in the world. And if we can afford to give Wall Street bailouts and airlines uh, trillion-dollar bailouts, we can afford to give everyday Americans one as well. Well, there are a few problems with that. First of all, we're not the richest country in the world. Okay, We're broke. We're absolutely broke. We owe, we owe 23, more than $23 trillion in bonded debt. We have hundreds of trillions of dollars of unfunded liabilities in government Ponzi schemes like Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and things like that. We couldn't afford those bailouts in the first place. We couldn't afford the 2008 bailouts. We can't afford these bailouts now. Even if we could afford them, we shouldn't be bailing out companies. We shouldn't be bailing out banks. We shouldn't be bailing out individuals okay it creates a tremendous amount of what's called moral hazard all right and the lesson here the lesson that these airlines are learning now the lesson that all of these over leveraged companies are learning is that well you know what when uh, interest rates are artificially low we should lever up as much as possible take on as much debt as we can borrow up to our eyeballs use that money to buy back our company's stock, have our stock prices skyrocket, and then we get to pay ourselves huge bonuses. When something inevitably goes wrong, the government will step in 
with either stolen money or worse, stolen purchasing power through inflation and money creation, and they'll bail us out. They're all doing this. Uh, they're going to they're going to be bailing out everybody, but bailing them out with what? Where does that money come from? You have to let these companies fail. Contrary to what Joe Biden will tell you, that they aren't saving the industry by bailing them out. You know, he was bragging about how he saved GM last night, okay? They're propping up failed companies that acted irresponsibly. Why did they act irresponsibly? Well, because you took away the fear of failure. Greed and fear are basically in a constant tug of war in a market, okay? And if you take away the fear, the possibility of them failing, well, the greed's going to take over and they're going to act very irresponsibly because they know they've got a bailout coming if bad things happen. And if they didn't bail out GM, and if we don't bail out these airlines today, yes, the company would fail. It would go into bankruptcy. It may go out of business. But the plant and equipment are still there. The airplanes are still there. If you're GM, the cars are still there. All of the machines that make the cars are still there. The factories are still there. So other companies who didn't make these same mistakes as GM or any of these airline companies or anybody else who's about to get a bailout, they will come along and buy up those assets on the cheap. They can then expand their properly operated businesses that put them in a position to be successful. They can expand on that and they can grow that type of business that, that clearly made the right decisions over time and the economy as a whole will be better off. We're shedding the dead weight. Okay, Remember back a few episodes ago when I talked about the meaning of profits. Well, profits are, are telling these companies, if you have profits, that you're doing something good, that you're doing something that, that people need, that the, the economy needs. You've been a good steward of our economic resources, which are limited. Now, if you've squandered those resources and you've been losing money left and right, we have more companies now in the stock market. It's like something like 40% of the companies have been losing money year over year. Okay, that is an indication that they're not doing something economically productive, that they're squandering our precious resources. So there has to be a reallocation that takes place. The longer we prop up these companies that are making all these mistakes, that are losing money year over year, billions of dollars a quarter, the longer we prop them up, the worse off the economy gets. And you've got companies like Apple, Apple has more cash on hand right now than the entire federal government, okay? But you see Apple, they're issuing debt and they're borrowing money to buy back their stock. Why? Why would they need to do that? Why don't they just use all the cash they have on hand? They've got like $80 billion in cash just sitting there. Well, it's been artificially cheap for them to borrow that money for long periods of time. So why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they take advantage of those artificially low rates, lever themselves up, and um, use it to buy back their stocks, pay themselves huge bonuses? If anything ever bad happens, you know, the federal government will step in and bail out Apple, you know, because we need computers, right? They seem to think that, you know, these companies, like these things that the companies produce, they'll just go away if you let Apple go away. 
No, somebody else will take it over. It's not like airline travel will cease to exist if American Airlines doesn't get a bailout. Okay, somebody will buy up those assets and run that company better and more efficiently. And it is a huge part of capitalism, is a huge part of free market enterprise to allow companies that screw things up to fail. That's why I always find it so hilarious when people talk about this unfettered capitalism that we have. Show me. Show me where it is. I, I don't see it anywhere at this point. And you got all these talking heads on, NB on CNBC now crying for a halt in trading. Because going into today, when we got this news that the Fed was going to cut interest rates to zero and start this QE program yesterday, uh, right away the markets tanked overnight. Uh, the, the futures market uh, hit what they call a, a limit down. I think I mentioned this on the last show. If, if markets go down a certain percent in a really short period of time, I believe it's 7% on the S&P, they, they stop trading for 15 minutes. And if it hits 13%, they stop for another 15 minutes. If things go down 20%, they halt trading for the day. And, that, and that's sort of their safeguard to prevent like a huge you know, fear-based collapse or a, or a huge run-up in the markets. But we limited down in the futures market, and then we limited down at the open this morning almost instantaneously. All right, and you had all these, these talking heads on CNBC who have been the biggest pumpers of this phony bull market and they always do this they pump these markets up they talk people into buying into these overpriced markets it's always great when it's a bull market but this is the network that's most responsible for pumping air into these bubbles as far as uh talking heads go and now they want to hit the pause button on all of this because well, now problems are starting, to, are starting to show, and they might lose some of this money. They've enjoyed the ride all the way up. They had no problems riding the wave up. They got all their money in, on paper. They loved all the upside. But now with the first sign of risk setting in, that the market could get cut in half or maybe worse, that they could lose all those phony profits, well, they're not interested in that. So they're begging for them to just shut down the markets so that we can get all the upside with none of the downside. This is the same type of moral hazard I just talked about with companies, over-leveraged companies. And what about the people who pulled out of this phony market maybe months or years ago who have done the right thing, who have saved and kept their powder dry, who didn't buy into the, the stock market at, at 29000 and now you're asking all of those people who did the right thing, who spent less than they made, who saved and invested the rest in things that they understood, who are now in a position to capitalize on their good behavior and draw on those saved resources to now put those to good productive use. You're asking them to bail out the people that acted irresponsibly. Or worse yet, you're calling on people that haven't even been born yet who have no say in any of this, to bail them out. Because the, the amount of money that they're going to have to print to bail this economy out will have to be paid back by future generations. And there's all sorts of plans being thrown around, like I said. Um, every politician is out there basically pushing their, their uh, political agenda 
I keep seeing tweets from like Alexandria Casio Cortez and Bernie Sanders, and it's not suspicious at all that their solutions to this crisis just happen to be everything that they've ever wanted politically. All the things that they clamor for, a new, well, we need a new deal, we need a green new deal, we need this, we need that. It's all the things that they've been clamoring for this whole time. Magically, those are what we need right now during this crisis to fix everything. And of course, there's no time to think about any of this. There's no time for discussion. This all has to be done right now because this is an emergency. Yeah. Yeah, that's not suspicious at all, is it? This is what Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders were talking about last night. Well, nobody's going to feel any pain. We're going to we're going to make your mortgage payments. We're going to make sure that your kids are fed. We're going to, you know, make sure that you're you're going to get like child care paid for. You're going to get paid medical leave. You'll get a, a stipend. You'll get this. You'll get that. Don't worry. You'll be made whole. Well, again, where is that money going to come from? And there's a tremendous amount of moral hazard there. What in, why would anybody not live paycheck to paycheck? Why would anybody save anything if the government's just going to come in at the first sign of an economic downturn and just start providing you with everything? Why would anybody act responsible in the future if they, they can just get a bailout from the government time and time again? Why is anybody going to save anything? And if we don't save anything, how are we ever going to grow the economy? Because it's savings and investment that grow an economy. It's not debt and it's not consuming, which is all we've been doing for like my entire lifetime. That's what got us into this problem. It's not what's going to get us out. It's just digging the hole deeper. But politicians are going to use this to usurp even more power and control over our lives. They're going to use the Federal Reserve to do this, right? And, you know... I don't know if I've talked about the original statute uh, of the Federal Reserve, but it made it illegal for them to buy government bonds because at the time, politicians were afraid that the f- they would just use the Fed to monetize the government debts. And, and basically what I mean by that is all of the, the debt that we've issued, they, they turned it into dollars, and then they put those dollars into circulation, right? That, that would be debt monetization. Okay, and so they made it illegal. They were afraid that the that would create a lot of moral hazard, and it would allow the governments to run up huge debts, and then you just have this Federal Reserve create a bunch of money out of thin air and and monetize all those debts. So they made it illegal, and then of course, right after the creation of the Federal Reserve, we had our first crisis hit, World War One, and taking advantage of that crisis. They were able to get that statute amended for the Federal Reserve to allow them to buy government debt directly from the government. You know that saying, never let a crisis go to waste. Well, they were all over this. We needed money for World War I. How are we going to do that? That, that? We're not allowed to buy government debt. Well, we'll just amend. We'll amend that statute. We'll allow the Federal Reserve to buy government, to, uh, to buy government debt directly, but we'll put a safeguard in place. Right, just to make sure things don't get out of control, we'll put in a ceiling. We'll call it a debt ceiling. We'll we'll put this ceiling in. We're gonna make it eleven billion dollars. So yes, the Fed can now buy government debt, but they can't buy more than eleven billion dollars. Okay, 
That was the original debt ceiling. And as you can see, every time we bumped up against that ceiling, they raised it. Every time there was a crisis, instead of dealing with that crisis, they just raised the debt ceiling, kicked the can down the road. And we are now over $23 trillion in debt. What we're going through right now is the, the bust in what's called the boom and bust cycle. And that is not a natural phenomenon, okay? It is created by the Federal Reserve through all of its market manipulation, through their interventions in the market with stimulus and artificially suppressing interest rates. That is what creates this boom and bust cycle, and that is what everybody needs to understand. I don't know why this is lost on people, but think about it. Why would an entire economy either hit an economic boom or an economic downturn all at the same time? How did 320 million people all make the same mistake at once? How does that happen? How does every industry, virtually every industry, experience an economic downturn at the same time? Uh, what causes that? Th that? That doesn't happen naturally. Why, why would, you know a restaurant industry and a, a, a building industry both experience a downturn at the same time. Well, it's because of the Federal Reserve. It's because they are poisoning the thing that flows through the entire economy. It's the lifeblood of the economy, and that is money. All right, That makes everybody sick at the same time. It creates all of this misallocation of resources at the same time, and we get these booms, and we get these busts. And we've had a boom now for the last 10 years, at least on paper, and here we are with the bust. And now politicians will take advantage of this crisis as well. You've already seen it. You've seen clamoring for it. But they, they, they will be pushing through their agendas in times of crisis, and we will gladly hand over whatever freedoms we have left for, for their promises of, of fixing this problem, of staving off this uh, economic depression, of curing this disease. There are free market solutions to these issues. We don't have to look to government to solve everything. How do I know that? Because these issues are incredibly important to people. All right, And when things are incredibly important to people, it's incredibly important to the market. It's in their best interest to try to solve those problems. People and companies can make fortunes solving crises like the one that we're in right now and the problems that arise from them. And we should all hope that they do. We should want someone to get filthy rich off of saving everyone's life and improving everyone's life. Another thing you heard in the debates last night was Bernie Sanders trying to tell you that now is not the time for profiteering, right? Profits are this bad, evil thing. We have to reverse that Marxist mindset, okay? Profits are not a bad thing. Everything we have today, everything that you enjoy, all of the daily comforts that you depend on, all the technological advancements, they all exist because once upon a time, Somebody, somewhere, wanted to make a profit. You take that away and we'll have nothing. What incentive will companies have to invest millions or billions of dollars into finding cures for diseases and vaccines?
You can't just make a decree and expect people to do things. All right? And government can't fund any of these things because, remember, government has no money of its own. Anything it has, it has to first take. If you actually want to get a cure or an effective vaccine for the coronavirus, you'll need profits. And if you actually want to have goods and services available to you, if you want these items to be on the shelves of the stores when you walk in, then you'll need profits. And you'll need to allow the price system to allocate and direct resources to where they are most urgently needed and allow them to adjust to the changing economic conditions. If you try to make them free by government decree, not only will they cost a bloody fortune to produce, but there won't be anything available for you to buy. The shelves will be empty. Nothing is free in this world. Goods and services are no exception. And I'm going to leave it there for today, guys. I wish I had, uh, you know, I could end on, on a more upbeat note, but things are looking like uh, this could be the one that we've been talking about. I've been warning about on this show. Economically, you know, we're, we're headed for a, a pretty big downturn here, and we're going to have to do our best to sort of weather this storm, put yourself in a position to be successful when we come out the other side. Be safe. Follow the, the, the self-quarantining that everybody's recommending. You know, I haven't left my place since Friday, and I only went out to the store uh, for the last time. And uh, I'll be staying home all week, working from home. So do what you can to sort of minimize your transmission uh, or potential transmission of this virus. And we will get through this. The virus, like I said, is, uh, is a problem, but it's not the underlying problem. It, it's exposed a lot of problems in our economy. And so we're going to have a lot to deal with, economically speaking, even after this virus runs its course. So don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. Download and subscribe. Share the show with your friends. At least two people need to hear this, that's for sure. And there's going to be a lot of people sitting around in their house with not nothing else to do. So go ahead and give them this podcast to listen to. See if they like it. Go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com if you want to sign up for our weekly newsletter and become a supporting member of the show. And if you can do all that, I will be back later this week with a brand new episode. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling. 